their separate dispensations, starting with Acts, but they go hand in hand together. Amen. And you cannot have a New Testament without an Old Testament. And you cannot have a New Testament church without the tabernacle. So we're going we're gonna to talk about the tabernacle. There's only two chapters in the Bible that deal with creation. But there are 42 chapters that deal with the tabernacle plan. The entire purpose of the tabernacle was so that a holy God could have a relationship with an unholy people. This relationship would not or would only function properly if the people put the tent together just right. If they did, then God promised that he would show up with power and provision. So this is what we read. And this is the Lord's instruction. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now you got to watch this because I'm going somewhere you don't think I'm going. I'm giving you a heads up. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments, even so ye shall make it. Now the Lord didn't say, I want you to build me a house. But I may dwell among you. Period. There was a pattern. You know another word for pattern? A standard. Y'all didn't know I was going there. Because God has always been about standards. When you study out what the priests were supposed to wear, there were certain standards that had to be met. The reason that God wants standards is because if he left it up to us, we would always do the least amount required. We would always just do it just barely enough to get by. So God said, if this is going to be my house, then I have to establish a pattern or a standard. This is how it's supposed to be done. And if you do it according to the standard or the pattern, then you'll get my blessing and you'll get my provision and you'll get my power. Hey friend, this whole book is about patterns and standards. It's not rules. If you call them rules, that's legalism. If you call them a pattern or a standard, that's relationship. This proves that God requires obedience. You cannot follow God on your terms. You can't do what you like out of what's required or what's asked. You've got to do all of it. All of it. We must follow His Word throughout Scripture. There are four major dwelling places of God. The first is the tabernacle of Moses. Later, the, tab the temple of Solomon. It was The tabernacle was temporary. The temple, uh, Solomon's temple was permanent. Same floor plan. One was temporary. One was permanent. The incarnation. Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory 
The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 8, and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, so just bear with me. Now of the Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the Son. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. So the first was the tabernacle. The second was the incarnation when God robed himself in a human body. Then the third, the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. First Peter 2 and 9, but you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter is speaking to the Gentile church. He's saying, hey, you, all you bunch of people, you were not the people of God. You were not Jews. You were not, uh, you, you were aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. You were not entitled to salvation. But now you've obtained the mercy of God. Hey, friend, aren't you thankful that God opened up that window of opportunity? It's a window that God said, whosoever will, you can come and drink of the waters of life freely. So the church, but then the fourth place, eternity. Revelation 21, verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Four places that God is going to dwell or has dwelled. Now the tabernacle was God's original blueprint for relationship. And it foreshadows everything else that comes later in the word of God. In other words, our relationship with God must follow the same pattern that the original blueprint laid out for us. The purpose today is not to get bogged down in the details of the tabernacle's construction, even though it was a beautiful sight. But the purpose of studying the tabernacle is to understand the major principles 
of God's blueprint. So we're going to look at, at every, over, over, over time, we're going to look at every part of the tabernacle. But tonight, or today rather, we're going to take a snapshot. And then as we continue, we'll get a little bit deeper. I want Brother Jeremy, if they can, Brother Greg, to put this, uh, this chart up, if you can see it. This is the cross in the tabernacle. There's the vertical, which is God's plan of salvation. The brazen altar represents the blood, death, what we know as repentance in the New Testament church. Then there's the brazen labor, the water, the burial, what Acts 2.38 refers to as baptism in Jesus' name. There's the Ark of the Covenant or the Spirit, the resurrection, or what we have experienced as the Holy Ghost. Then there's the horizontal, which is God's plan of sanctification. The golden candlestick is our witness. It's the light of the world or the light in the world. Jesus was the light of the world. We are the light in the world because we have Christ in us. There's the altar of incense, which represents prayer. Christ was our intercessor. And thy kingdom come. In our life. That's what we pray. Then there's a table of showbread. The word. The bread of life. We put the word of God in our heart. Everything. And we'll go through this in more detail in, in weeks to come. But everything has a significance. It has a purpose. What it represents in the bold. In the, in the Old Testament. The original plan. Christ was. And then this is what we experience. Uh, in living for God. In this day and age. Amen. The curtains on the outside, badger skins. It's the humanity of Christ. Scripture says no beauty that we should desire him. You know, if, if you was looking at that tabernacle as a, as a stranger, it was not a beautiful castle. Not a beautiful building. It was draped in badger skins was not something to be desired because the beauty was not on the outside, the beauty was on the inside. And when Christ came, he didn't come as a king, although he could have. Scripture says that no, he had no beauty in that we should desire him. Now I'm just tell you this. I'm not trying to be whatever, this is just my opinion. I'm not so sure that Jesus was not what we would consider, or ladies would consider, a good-looking man. Scripture said that there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. I mean, I just think he was just average. Just average. The badger skins represented the humanity. There was the ram skins that were dyed red. Those represent the sacrificial blood. There was the curtains of goat's hair. Represents the sin offering, the scapegoat. There was the curtains of fine twined linen, divinity, cherubims embroidered. All of the, all of the, the skins tie into Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Now, they didn't even know what it represented in that day and age. 
They were, they were blind as to what was actually happening. It was a foreshadow of the coming Messiah. It was a foreshadow of their salvation, the coming Redeemer. They didn't understand it. When we approach God, we must start at the brazen altar. Repentance. We keep going all the way through to the Holy of Holies. And we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Man's approach through faith. You come in, you start at that brazen altar. You go, that, that's repentance. You go to that brazen labor, baptism in Jesus' name. You keep going and you go through the five pillars. Some would say they represent wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. There's no biblical proof of that, but it preaches good. So you could just say that. You get on in there, there's the there's the table of showbread. There's the golden candlesticks. There, there, there's the altar of incense. But the whole purpose is to get to the holy of holies. What good would it be to go through all of that and never get to that mercy seat? In fact, if you study out and we'll, we'll, we'll get there. If you study out the, 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 the curtain between the golden candlestick, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, there was not a seam in it. There was not an opening in it. And most theologians believe that one time a year when that priest got to that curtain, that the Spirit of the Lord literally allowed him to go to the other side as he was translated into that holy, holy of holies, putting that blood on the mercy seat that one time of year. Friend, what good would it be for us to have repentance and us to experience baptism, but to never get to that place where there's a divine exchange between God and man? That's what the Holy Ghost is. It's when we have that divine exchange where we leave that dead man buried and we rise in newness of life. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Ghost? That's man's approach to God. But if we look at the tabernacle from God's viewpoint, when God came to us, he started in the Holy of Holies. And he started walking. And he got to the end, which was the brazen altar, which was Calvary. We're going this way, trying to get to God. And God said, I'll come to you. And I'll go all the way back through. And I'll get to Calvary. God's approach was through grace. Through grace. The overriding principle of the entire tabernacle system was the principle of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, thousands of animals died to cover sin temporarily. In the incarnation, Jesus Christ became the final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. You know, if you want to live for God, it's going to cost you something. And here was the requirement. Give me your best. Your best lamb. 
or depending upon your social status, there was animals that match your your social status. But here's what we do. Not we as a people, we as humanity. We always want to see how we can get by. Why do you think Jesus got so mad when he showed up in that temple? When the requirement has always been, bring me your best. And they turned it into a business to where you could keep your animals and then you come buy a sacrifice and offer that sacrifice. And Jesus said, basically, y'all made a business out of what was supposed to be your best. You're supposed to be giving me your, giving God your best and now you're keeping your best and then you're just trying to buy your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. God still requires that we give him our very best. That's why David said, I'm not going to do this if it ain't going to cost me something. Friend, listen, when Jesus went and talked to that lady at the well, he was talking about free water. Let me tell you, there's a high cost in free water. You can't think that you're going to come to God and still get to keep everything and do everything and still live for God. But friend, let me tell you, you'll always get the best end of the deal. When you give God your best, He's going to give you His best. And His best is always better than our best. In the church, we give sacrifices to God as holy priests is what Scripture calls us. In eternity, Jesus' sacrifice and ours will be honored. Remember I told you four dimensions where God dwells. The Old Testament, thousands of animals died to cover sin temporarily. In the incarnation, Jesus Christ became the final perfect sacrifice. In the church, we give sacrifices to God today as holy priests. In eternity, Jesus' sacrifice and ours will be honored. The overarching theme of all four dimensions is the word sacrifice. Living for God is about sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed so that we could have redemption. Jesus, don't make a mistake to think that Jesus was executed. Jesus was not executed on a cross. Jesus was sacrificed on a cross. The the difference is the motives. Jesus said, no man can take my life. Remember that? He said, except I lay it down. Jesus was not executed. He laid it down as a sacrifice. If he was executed, his blood would have been worthless. But because he was sacrificed, his blood was the most valuable, precious thing that ever flowed down Calvary's hill. And it's still flowing today. And it's still covering a multitude of sin. Hebrews 9 and 8 says, the Holy Ghost. This signifying that the way in the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time present, in which we offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Pause. Scripture says the purpose of baptism as we know it is that we may have a clear conscience before God. So Scripture just said, which was a figure for the time 
then present. It only dealt with the present. In which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service, in other words, that person bringing the sacrifice, perfect, as pertaining to the conscience. Why? Because their sins were not remitted. They were simply rolled back. So by day 364, that conscience was getting messed with because those sins were still looming for all of their life. Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. Hey friend, what the writer was saying is this, if the blood of bulls and goats lasted only one year, how much more shall the blood of a precious lamb who knew no blemish and he knew no spot, he was perfect in every way, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That word continually, his praise, the writer said, shall continually be in my mouth. Praise that sounds like a chant. Praise that comes from our heart unto God. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth under the old covenant the people brought a whole burnt offering or a whole animal but under the new covenant we offer our whole life to god not a whole animal to be killed but a whole life to be lived this is why the writer said in romans Chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies 
a living sacrifice. You know the problem with a living sacrifice is it still has the ability to crawl off the altar. That's that human will. You don't crawl on the altar on Sunday and Wednesdays. He said, I beseech you by, by the mercies of God. You present. Jesus will not come get you. He wants you to present yourself. Listen, I believe that God can move all over this building. We've seen it happen many, many times. He can fill people with the Holy Ghost in the parking lot. He can fill. It does not matter. God can reach anywhere. But there is a significance when a person gets out of their pew and willfully goes to an altar. Can God move in the chairs, in the pews? Absolutely. We've seen it happen. But there's an outward display of an inner desire when someone makes it what we call takes a trip to an altar. It's signifying and showing God that I'm serious about what I'm doing. I've seen people pray through all over the place, but, but I've also seen people that everybody else wanted them to pray through sitting in the chairs. But they never got the Holy Ghost because they weren't ready. I've, been, I've watched a lot of people in my years were surrounded by a bunch of people and everybody's praying for them. And everybody wants them to get the Holy Ghost. And I want them to get the Holy Ghost too. But God knows the heart. And if they're not ready to present themselves unto the Lord, then they're not going to receive the Holy Ghost. You've got to present yourself. God's original desire was for those that were coming to the tabernacle to be filled with joy and appreciation because their sins will be rolled back for one year. Now, I'm just using my imagination. If I knew that the sins of my family were hanging in the balance and I was going to get to go to the tabernacle one time a year. That's all that was required. One time a year. Not Sunday and Wednesday. Not 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. on a Sunday. One time a year. I just don't believe that they were grumbling about it. If they knew that they was going to get their sins rolled back for one more year, and it was going to be their salvation. I just got to believe it was God's desire for them to come joyfully. This is why the scripture says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his 
name. Hey friend, the first thing that you came to at that tabernacle was you came to that gate. And he said, when you come to that gate, don't you come murmuring. Don't you come complaining. But you better be coming being thankful that you're going to have an opportunity at salvation. And when you start giving God thanks and you get past that gate into those courts, then there's going to be a praise that rises out of your lips, out of your heart. And you can praise Him according to His excellent greatness. And you can praise Him according to His mighty acts. Hey friend, I'm so thankful that I've got salvation. That I've got an opportunity to be free from the clutches of sin. There's a parallel between going to that Old Testament tabernacle and coming to the New Testament church. Let me tell you what's lacking in our lives, beginning with me, is genuine thanksgiving. It's more than one time a year that we've got to be thankful. We get so caught up in what we need God to do and what he hasn't done, and we go through our bucket list of prayers, and we spend very little time. you realize that you could go to prayer and all you could do is give God thanks and you still wouldn't be able to thank Him enough in your prayer time for what God has done for your family, what He's done for your mind, what He's done for your children, what He's done for your finances. When you give God thanks, something activates on the inside that you start looking at the goodness of God and you start praising Him. Praising Him for who He is. Praising Him for what He's done. Praising Him. I prayed God for things. I said, God, I thank you for that which you did that I didn't know you did. Because God's done things for you that you don't know. You know how many accidents He's probably kept you from? Times when you got mad at the children needing to go to the bathroom and you pulled over and you, that could have been a wreck that God was keeping you from. Praise Him. You just praise Him. The whole point of going to that tabernacle was not to go through all the rituals. It was to embrace the relationship with their Savior that was represented. Amen. And if you look at this living for God as rules and rituals, then you missed it. You missed it. It's not about crossing the T's, dotting the I's, and putting the check marks. It's not about it. That's legalism. It's about relationship with God. Let me, just, let me just tell you, I believe wholeheartedly from top to bottom in standards. I think, I think I've proven that enough, and I know that you do too. But let me tell you what the church needs. The church needs some people that have fallen up with Jesus that look like the world because they haven't yet grown to know Him like that. New babies in Christ that aren't like we know that they're supposed to be polished because you know why that gets infectious because they're designed and you let the Lord deal with them and you let the Lord love them we need some people that have come out of the world that have fallen in love with Jesus I get worried when the church looks too polished I'm not saying compromise I'm saying people that don't know anything about that book other than they fell in love with Jesus. They were born of the water and the spirit. 
And they're just wanting to come to the house of the Lord. Don't you know there was people from all walks of life that got to go to that tabernacle? Don't you know that there was people that didn't agree that got to go to that tabernacle? But the one thing they had common was that they came in contact with the same God. And in the New Testament church, there's people from all walks of life. There's people that probably don't always agree. But the one thing we've got common, and we've all dipped our finger in the sweet honey of God's holiness. We've all eaten grapes of grace, and we've been bathed in His blood. And when you get to heaven, you're all going to sing the same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why don't you stand to your feet right now? And why don't you clap your hands and give God praise? And thank Him for His goodness. Thank you. 